0: This is GM Word of the Week, and I'm Fiddleback. Labyrinth We here at the GM Word of the Week are the first to admit that sometimes our little lexicological journeys can get a bit convoluted. We tend to wander to and fro, taking sudden turns and random detours. But that's the nature of the subject matter. After all, our modern games and stories and other bits of pop-cultural minutiae are what is simply bubbled to the top of a cauldron of history, mythology, culture, and science that has been seething away for thousands of years. It's a misconception that any sort of evolution, be it biological, cultural, or scientific, is a linear process. And so our excursions tend to be a bit labyrinthine. Take, for example, that word, labyrinthine. It means complicated, intricate, complex, entangled. Or more directly, it means like a labyrinth. And, of course, we're sure you're all familiar with the origin of the word labyrinth. Yes, of course. It comes from the ancient Lydian word for axe. Who doesn't know that? Oh, we're sorry. Did you think it meant maze? And did you think it came from Greek mythology? Well, you aren't exactly wrong, but you aren't entirely right, either. It's a bit complicated. See, nowadays, we tend to think of ancient Greece as this homogeneous thing, and we tend to credit it as the birthplace of a lot of the foundation of Western civilization. Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle laid the groundwork for Western philosophy. Pythagoras and Euclid practically invented math. Playwrights like Sophocles, Euripides, and Aristophanes invented theater and drama. Thales created the basis for the scientific method— Democritus proposed the idea that everything was made of small constituent particles called atoms. Archimedes was basically the first Western engineer. And of course, from Greece, we get the Latin alphabet and the concept of democracy. But it isn't really that simple. What we think of as ancient Greece was just an evolution of what came before it. And the story is a bit convoluted. Just like the story of how a double-headed axe called a labrys became a convoluted maze called a labyrinth. The story begins during the Neolithic Age. That's the age in which civilization was really starting to catch on. Humans were starting to develop permanent settlements. They were refining their use of tools, perfecting agriculture, and domesticating animals. And sometime during that age, between 6000 BCE and 2900 BCE humans wandered into the lands of ancient Greece. Now, Greece is a rough little land. It isn't inhospitable, per se, but it does pose some challenges. It is extremely mountainous, with few rivers and little arable land. The coast is jagged and rocky, and it is surrounded by islands. In the north, the people became farmers, but in the south, the people lived off the sea, the first permanent settlements in ancient Greece were on the islands of the Aegean Sea, and they belonged to the Cycladic Civilization. As the world emerged from the Neolithic Age into the Bronze Age, the Cycladic people became expert fishers and began trading with their neighbors. They also developed impressive stoneworking skills and made homes and temples of finished stone. Cycladic Civilization flourished, but it was also somewhat fractious. Each settlement, even the ones on the mainland, were islands of civilization. Each had its own customs, its own laws, and its own gods. However, trade between the various settlements ensured common ideas got passed around. However, on one island, the largest island off the coast of Greece, the first truly advanced European civilization was rising. From about 2700 BCE to 1420 BCE, the island of Crete was ruled by a civilization known by the name of its most famous and powerful king, the Minoan civilization. The Minoans settled every corner of the island of Crete, but four settlements stand above all others, Knossos, Phaistos, Malia, and Zakros. At each of these sites, complex, multi-storied palace structures and complexes have been discovered. Unfortunately, apart from their architecture and art, very little is known about the structure of Minoan civilization. Archaeologists have suggested that the absence of military fortifications imply a peaceful society, but weapons and armor have been recovered. According to historical records, Minoan civilization was one of the first European nations to have a standing navy. Archaeological artifacts also attest to exceptional Minoan craftsmanship and include ivory sculptures, ceramic pottery, stone frescoes, and gold rings and seals. And the Minoans developed two written languages. One of which, called Linear A, remains untranslated to this day. We should know that Linear A is just a designation that was given by linguists and historians. It is called Linear because it is written as lines of symbols, unlike an earlier Minoan symbol language called Cretan or Minoan hieroglyphics. Linear A appears to contain hundreds of characters, which include both syllables, where the symbols represent sounds, and ideographs, where the symbols represent particular ideas or concepts. It also has a complex number system. But we digress. We also know that the Minoans suffered at least two terrible disasters. Many of the palace sites show signs of damage and reconstruction at around 1700 BCE. Earthquakes, fires, and volcanic eruptions are suspected to be the culprits. The second disaster ultimately led to the downfall of Minoan civilization. And while that may also have involved natural disasters, it is suspected by archaeologists that Crete may also have been invaded by another civilization. See, back on the mainland of Greece, the various settlements were themselves becoming a bit more unified through trade with each other as well as with the Minoans. Archaeologists and historians note that during the period from 2000 to 1450 BCE, the various major settlements across Greece were starting to share a lot of common features in their art, architecture, craftsmanship, and their weapons and armor. They had also developed their own written language, an evolution of Linear A called, by scholars, Linear B. The Bronze Age was in full swing at this point, and the Mycenaeans were becoming more militaristic. Now... Just like the Minoans, we don't know too much about Mycenaean Civilization. But we do know that after the Minoans fell, the Mycenaean Civilization ended up spreading across Crete, and that might not be a coincidence. Either way, Mycenaean Civilization was flourishing, having grown out of Cycladon Civilization and having supplanted the Minoan Civilization. And then everything fell apart, literally. Civilization fell apart. Sometime around 1100 BCE, something happened called the Late Bronze Age Collapse. From Greece to Mesopotamia and all around the Mediterranean Sea, the Bronze Age civilizations went into a dark age. And there are lots of theories as to what exactly happened. Massive natural disasters, climate change, invasions from mysterious foreigners from overseas. No one agrees as to what caused the Bronze Age Collapse. But it happened and it left the people of Greece isolated from one another in small villages and settlements. By 750 BCE though, civilization was recovering and the population of the Greek settlements was rising again. The geography of Greece made land an extremely valuable commodity. Many were forced to emigrate and new colonies began to appear at an incredible rate. It's estimated that by 600 BCE, There were more than 1,500 colonies and settlements in Greece, each a tiny nation in and of itself. The largest settlements enjoyed massive improvements as civilization began to flourish again. The agricultural centers became city-states, and those who owned the land enjoyed a great deal of wealth and power. But as trade increased among the city-states, different city-states were able to specialize in producing certain goods and could buy what they couldn't produce from others. So the focus gradually shifted away from agriculture to trade goods. And when that happened, money began to move from the landowners to the artisans, many of whom became extremely wealthy. And thus, in many city-states, the people began to band together and revolt, and they appointed new leaders who they called tyrannos, or tyrants. Many of these absolute rulers brought about great civic improvements, including city walls and aqueducts. But soon the people came to resent their power as well. And then, in 507 BCE, the ruler of Athens, Cleisthenes, introduced an idea called demokratia, or rule by the people. And thus was born the classical period of Greek history, which would end 200 years later in 323 BCE with the death of Alexander the Great. But, if you were paying attention to that little history lesson, and if you remember that this labyrinthine journey started with the word labyrinth, you might think we passed right by it. Did you catch the mention of a certain king whose name you might associate with a certain bull-headed monster that lives in the center of a certain maze? That's right. The story of the labyrinth and the minotaur ...predates classical Greek civilization by about a thousand years... ...when King Minos ruled Crete. What you have to understand is that the Minoans were very into two things. The first was bulls. They loved bulls. Bulls were a big part of their art. They were everywhere. Second, the Minoans were into a particular goddess... ...the mother goddess... She was a symbol of authority, fertility, death, and rebirth. And her symbol was a symmetrically double-headed axe called a labris. The labris was considered a feminine symbol, and the particular shape of the double axe was thought to invoke female genitalia and the entrance to the womb. It is even supposed by some that the word labris is the origin of the Latin word labus, from which we derive the word labia. It means lips. In Minoan art, the double axe was depicted almost exclusively in the hands of women, and several extremely large axes have been recovered by archaeologists, the size of which suggests they may have been used as ceremonial tools. Artwork from Crete suggests they might have been used to sacrifice bowls to the gods. And that brings us around to a Greek myth, or rather a whole collection of myths. See, the story of the labyrinth And the Minotaur actually lies at the center of a little knot of related myths. First of all, there was the myth of King Minos. Whoops, hold on just a moment. You might be wondering why this is a Greek myth if we just got done telling you that the actual civilizations about whom the myth is told predates the Greeks by a thousand years. Well, it's for the same reason that we still talk about Robin Hood and King Arthur. These stories endure... They got passed down over the ages and embellished and retold and changed, but they endured. Anyway, according to Greek legend, there was a faraway kingdom long ago. And this guy named Minas wanted to be king. Minas prayed to Poseidon, the god of the earth and the sea, to give him a powerful bull and promised that if Poseidon did that, he'd return the bull by sacrificing it back to Poseidon. Poseidon agreed and sent Minas a great bull. And Minas went to the people and showed them Poseidon's amazing bull. That convinced the people that Minas was favored by the gods. And so he became the king. But Minas really, really liked the bull. And when the time came, he refused to sacrifice it to Poseidon. Poseidon was so incensed that he made Minas' wife, Pasiphae, fall in love with the bull. And she did. Now, there are some unpleasant details here, but the end result involves Pasiphae inside a cow costume and then giving birth to a bouncing baby monster nine months later. The creature had the head of a bull and the body of a man. And it was named the Minotaur. The Bull of Minus. The trouble was, the Minotaur would only eat humans, and it was too powerful to destroy. So Minus did the only thing he could think of he kidnapped the most skilled architect in the world, Daedalus, and had him design a maze so complicated no one could ever find their way in or out. And there he stuck the Minotaur. And because the symbol of King Minos was the double-headed axe, and it was emblazoned all over the palace and the maze, they called the maze Labyrinthos. Now, a few years later, Minas' son Androgeos was vacationing in the city of Athens, and he decided to participate in a local bullfighting event. Unfortunately, the bull won, and Androgeos lost. Fatally lost. Minos was so enraged that he invaded Athens with his mighty navy. Athens was forced to surrender, but Minas had no interest in the city. Instead, He demanded that athens provide him a tribute he wanted fresh food for his minotaur so he said he would send a ship with black sails every few years and the athenians had to load some number of kids on it so that he could throw those kids in the labyrinth as food for the minotaur now the reason we're being vague is because there are a lot of versions of the myth and a lot of different numbers get thrown around It might have been fourteen kids every year, or seven kids every nine years, or any other combination of those numbers. It doesn't matter. The point is, he wanted regular Minotaur food, and Athens was forced to comply. And this is where we come to our second myth. The story of Theseus. Now, Theseus is a fun little mythological figure. He had lots of adventures. And while he was strong and brave like most Greek heroes, he was also clever. So he got by with a lot of trickery. According to myth, he was the son of King Aegis of Athens. But his mother, Aethra, was also having an affair with Poseidon at the time, so he might have been a demigod. But either way, Theseus was raised in a small fishing village by his mother. The only thing he knew of his father was the sword and sandals he'd inherited. Aegis wasn't dead, mind you. He had just gone back to Athens to rule. Once Theseus came of age, Aether told him to head to Athens to meet his father. Now along the way, Theseus had some amusing adventures, and we suggest you look some of them up. In one, he tricks a bandit into giving Theseus his club to hold and then clubbing the bandit to death. In another, a guy named the Pine Bender tries to trick Theseus into holding onto a bent-over pine tree so Theseus will be catapulted into the air. Instead, Theseus ties the guy to two different bent-over pine trees and then lets them snap back into place, ripping the guy in half. Theseus was a fun hero. At one point, Theseus marries a witch. But they have some marital troubles, and the witch tries to get King Aegeus to kill Theseus. Fortunately, Aegeus recognizes Theseus by his sword. Father and son are reunited, and the witch rides off on a dragon, threatening revenge. Anyway, it's at this point that the two myths collide. When Theseus gets to Athens and meets his father, King Aegeus, Theseus learns of the Minotaur, the labyrinth, and the bull. He offers to ride out on the next ship and kill the Minotaur. When Theseus gets to Crete, he convinces King Minos that he is the son of Poseidon. Minos doesn't want to enrage Poseidon any further, not after the incident with his wife and the bull, so Minos spares Theseus and lets him stay in the palace. There, Theseus meets the king's daughter, Ariadne. And Ariadne tells Theseus how to enter the labyrinth and also gives him a long ball of string to unravel so he won't lose his way in the maze. Theseus enters the labyrinth, rips off the Minotaur's horn and stabs him with it. He then follows the string back to the exit. Then he decides to sail back to Athens in a Minoan ship. But when King Aegis sees the black sails of the Minoan ship approaching, He assumes that Theseus failed and that King Minos is demanding another tribute. So King Aegis throws himself off a cliff, into the sea, and Theseus becomes King of Athens. By the way, the Old English word clue means a ball of yarn, that's C-L-E-W clue. But from it we get the word clue C-L-U-E, which means something you can follow like a trail. There is one more myth that comes into this little triangle. Admittedly, you probably know this one, but it's a good little final story to end this maze-like episode on. Remember Daedalus? Well, King Minos was worried that he would tell someone the secret of navigating the labyrinth. So he kept Daedalus and his son Icarus locked up. He also learned that Daedalus had invented the cow costume that his wife had used to seduce his bull. That may also have factored into the kidnapping. At any rate, Daedalus and his son Icarus were stuck in a high tower. But Daedalus was an excellent inventor, in addition to being a great architect. And using bird feathers and candle wax, he fashioned two pairs of wings that he and his son could use to fly away from Crete back to Greece. But he warned his son to follow him closely. If they flew too low, the wings would get wet and they wouldn't be able to fly. And if they flew too high, the sun would melt the wax and the wings would fall apart. Essentially, this story serves as a warning against both complacency and hubris. Icarus would have to flap hard enough to keep himself well above the ocean, but not give in to pride and soar towards the sun. And you probably know where this story ends. After all, Icarus was a teenager, and they think they know everything. And that's why he ended up falling into the sea in a blobby ball of melted wax and bird feathers. How can you use any of this in your own game? Well, obviously. Mythology always provides a lot of good fodder. But these are well-trodden myths, and you probably know them all, at least in bits and pieces. So for some real inspiration, you might enjoy checking out some of the other adventures of Theseus. They are pretty amusing. This has been GM Word of the Week. It's written and researched by the Angry GM and produced by me, Fiddleback. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gmwordoftheweek. You can find more at gmwordoftheweek.com and theangrygm.com.